This episode of the Holly Fueled Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Scratch Labs. To save 20% off of your Scratch Labs purchase, visit the link in the show notes and use code HOLLY20 at checkout, which is H-O-L-L-E-Y-2-0. Hey everyone, my name is Holly Samuel and I'm a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, master of health education with a focus in eating disorders, and of course, I'm your podcast host today. And I'm pretty excited about today's episode. Um, I didn't really know how I wanted to like put out this information just on thoughts that I have and patterns that I've seen in the running community. Um, and then, you know, I remember that I have a podcast and that'd probably be a good platform. Cause as you guys know, I am long winded. I mean, the last time I talked about the Boston marathon on this podcast episode, it was a two hour long podcast episode. So I don't think this one will be quite as long, but I have some thoughts that I wanted to go over. This is going to be a solo episode, just diving into a pattern that I have seen, a lot in the running community. Um, and I haven't really seen anyone else talking about it, although I have talked about it with other running coaches and other dietitians who do similar work to myself, and they definitely see it too. So I wanted to kind of package it up and put it out there. And that is what I like to call the Boston Marathon hamster wheel or the blue and yellow handcuffs, um, the unicorn syndrome. <laughs> that is, those are kind of like the names that I would give this pattern that I have seen a lot in my own runner clients that I have felt myself and have also seen in my other running friends in the running community. And before I dive in, I want to preface this by saying, Obviously, I love the Boston Marathon. I love it. It's my favorite marathon in the whole world that I have done so far. It is an incredible experience. I understand why what I'm about to talk about happens because it is such an incredible experience that people want to participate in multiple times across their life. Um, And I also know that not everyone feels that way, but Obviously, I'm prefacing this with a lot of love for the Boston Marathon, a lot of love for the runners that um, run the marathon, and just a little context as to where I'm coming from. So what do I mean by the Boston Marathon hamster wheel, the blue and yellow handcuffs, the unicorn syndrome? For this, I'm mostly talking about those folks who choose to enter the Boston Marathon because they want to get a Boston qualifying time or a BQ as it's known in running lingo time, which means that they have run a certain time. They've run a marathon at, in a certain pace that has qualified them to register and therefore get accepted and entered into the Boston Marathon itself. I'm not going to go into detail over how that process works. Um, But if you do want to hear more about that, scroll back to my Boston Marathon recap episode from 2022. And I talk all about it in that episode. Um, What I want to also say is that the Boston Marathon um, has really incredible marketing. Um, More so than I think most other marathon marathons. What word is that? Most other marathons have. Um, It's just, there's a good reason for it, right? Like 
the Boston Marathon is a great marathon. It is the oldest marathon. It is the mother of all marathons. Um, and also, they do a really good job with its marketing. So what I'm alluding to is those who get into this marathon or wish to buy qualifying, what pattern am I talking about? This is the pattern that I see in a lot of runners who fall under this umbrella. I'm going to go through it with you. They qualify for the Boston Marathon. Maybe it's taken them a really long time to qualify and actually get in to the Boston Marathon. If that is you, I feel you. It took me, I think, three or four tries. I got three or four rejection letters from the BAA, and that's just the races that I qualified with, not to mention the ones where I missed the qualification standard. Um, So maybe it's taken them a long time to qualify, which is why qualifying and getting in makes Boston that much more special to them because of the exclusive nature of this race. So they qualify, they run the Boston Marathon. They are like, wow, that was a great experience. I definitely want to do that again. Or they have maybe not a great experience, but they know that they um, could have a better experience. They want to conquer the course. They want to feel all the feelings that I've talked about on my recap episodes, because I've personally had really good experiences on the Boston course. So they want to try again. And one reason why I think there's even more variability with people's experiences at the Boston Marathon is because one, it takes place in April. And a lot of people do come from places where they have to train through winter. Um, They have a winter where they live to get to the race. So that's a factor. Weather is always a factor at the Boston Marathon. I mean, you never know what you're going to get. So it's not super reliable in terms of always having perfect race day weather that's perfect for a PR. Um, It also is a pretty hard course, right? The Boston Marathon course is not known for being easy. It's known for being extremely hard um, to run and especially hard to run well. Um, So you know, maybe they run the Boston Marathon after qualifying. And a lot of people maybe don't re-qualify at the Boston Marathon, especially if maybe they were kind of within that five to 10 minute range of qualifying or zero to 10 minute range of qualifying with the race that they qualified for the race with. Um, So, you know, like what I'm trying to say is running a BQ isn't just a walk in the park for them. (laughs) Like that's, you know, probably a PR or close to a PR of a race, but it's on at a race that has much worse weather. It's a really hard course and it was hard to get there. So maybe they don't requalify. And then what happens? Then they think, well, I want to go back. And I know the qualification window is like in September or October. So that means I have to run an early fall race to maybe get a BQ time and requalify. So maybe they do that. And maybe they get the BQ. Maybe they're like, you know, maybe they get a BQ at this, at this early fall race, but not only are they committing to that early fall race, they're committing to that race and also Boston again, you know, within the next six to eight months since they got the BQ. And then the cycle continues. That's one pattern I see. The other pattern that I see is people qualify for Boston. They get into Boston, they run Boston. Maybe they do requalify for Boston at Boston. Epic. If you get the chance to do that. And then they think, well, I have all this fitness and I know I could run a lot faster on a, on a, just a better, more reliable weather and course. Um, 
so let me run a fall marathon to see if I can get a PR and run even faster because I don't want all this fitness to go away. So they run a fall race and then they also run Boston the following year. And then the cycle repeats itself. So what this sets up people to do, especially those age groupers where if you're like me, where if running the Boston marathon is something that, you know, qualifying is really challenging. Like it's not like you can just go easy, run a marathon and automatically BQ. Like maybe you just didn't have a history of being a runner. Um, you know, maybe you have to work extra hard to hit those paces. Like some people qualifying for Boston's not that hard just because of their, their history, their genetics, their training, their, you know, capabilities. And for the others, it's really freaking hard. It's like the freaking Olympics, right? If you're like me. Um, and it's a big ask and it's a lot on the body to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So what I see for these people is that Boston itself sets them up to fail. <laughs> um, especially if their goal is to run consecutive Boston marathons. And I know for a lot of runners who get stuck in this hamster wheel, which is why I'm calling it a hamster wheel, they want to run consecutive Boston marathons. They love the experience. They think it's amazing. It's very contagious and they want to do it every year. Like I get that. <laughs> it's also my local race. So it's actually also convenient for me to do it every year. Um, so because of this, they feel the need to requalify for Boston. And what the problem is with this pattern is that over time, people are asking of their bodies a PR more than once a year in the marathon. And contrary to popular belief, this is not sustainable long term. Um, this is a conversation that I have with, I mean, probably 80% of my clients is that running a PR in the marathon, especially if that's like kind of the farthest distance you've completed, um, that's that's not really sustainable. Like when we first start running marathons, we may improve, um, you know, each time we run one because we're new and we have a blank slate and a lot of room to improve. But as you do get more seasoned, it is more of an ask on your body to PR and you're probably not going to PR, which is achieving a personal record or personal best by as much. Um, so, I mean, even if you look at elite athletes, a lot of them are not running more than maybe two marathons a year. And they're not looking to PR every time they run a marathon, you know, like a lot of the times they're just trying to race. They're trying to be in the mix. Um, and you know, that's their full-time job. Like they have all the time in the world to get to dedicate towards this. It's not usually recreational runners as full-time jobs. Like we have a lot of other responsibilities, um, that add to our plate. So really we don't have any business asking ourselves and asking our bodies to run a PR in the marathon twice a year for multiple years in a row. That is one of the biggest problems that I see in this community and with the Boston Marathon hamster wheel is that because a lot of people who are on the cusp of BQing have a hard time qualifying at Boston because of the weather, that's a wild card, because it's a really hard course, that's a wild card, because maybe they've already run a fall marathon, so their body's already a little tired. And because sometimes life gets in the way, sometimes you have a bad day and that happens to be on race day. 
because of that, this is what gets them stuck into this pattern, which can have a lot of long-term negative consequences that I'm going to get into. But first, let's take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor for this episode, which is Scratch Labs. You guys know I love Scratch Labs. They have now fueled me to many, many PRs and beyond. I have used their products for several years. My favorite product that Scratch Labs makes is the Strawberry Lemonade Hydration Mix, although I also think that they make the best sport shoes in the market, really. I mean, I think that they're the best. <laughs> um, probably strong words. They also make a super carb formula, bars, and so much more. Scratch Labs is primarily a hydration and sports nutrition company. They put all of the stuff in the products that you need that is evidence-based, like carbs and sugar. I know, gasp, evidence-based stuff. Um, in addition to electrolytes and none of the stuff that you don't like artificial sweeteners, stevia and stuff that just doesn't really need to be in our sports nutrition products. Because as athletes, we need carbohydrates. You've heard me say that on probably almost every single podcast episode I've ever put out, even the ones that Scratch Labs has not sponsored. So if you guys want to give Scratch Labs a try, I really think you should. Honestly, it's my favorite hydration mix. I'm so thrilled to be partnered with this company. Um, and I really hope that you guys like it too. So if you want to give it a try, use code Holly20 at checkout. You can use the link in the show notes. That's H-O-L-L-E-Y-2-0 at checkout for 20% off your first Scratch Labs order. Now let's get back to today's episode. So what's the problem with this pattern? So let's talk about um, what I see all the time. And a lot of the times clients are coming to me because of these problems they're experiencing and they want help with these problems. Um, so let's dive into them. A lot of the times, again, if we are asking our bodies to PR, max out, get the best it's ever been twice a year in the marathon, a lot of the times for some people, they can get away with that <laughs> for like a couple marathons, maybe, maybe like two years maybe three years, but usually eventually if you keep asking your body all of those things, it keeps score and you will have to take time off. And if it's not planned time off, it will be unplanned time off. So a lot of the times what happens to people is eventually they get injured um, or they end up burnt out or they end up plateauing in their fitness and or they might experience body composition changes that are not what they want, um, which can include you know, midsection fat gain, um, muscle loss, um, feeling run down, nutrient deficiencies, adrenal issues, endocrine issues, hormone issues, um, fertility issues, uh, trouble sleeping. Um, these are probably the most common issues that I hear. And I mean, probably at least seven times out of 10, it's because this person is on this two marathon PR, you know, per year hamster wheel, whether it has to do with the Boston marathon or not. Um, and a lot of the times, unfortunately, the knee jerk reaction to these issues is that people think, oh, I just have to do more. I have to do more running. I have to run more marathons. I just got to sign up for another race and have that redemption race. Maybe I should run higher mileage. Maybe I should do harder speed work. Maybe I should do less rest. Maybe I should eat less food. Maybe I should try fat adapting instead of eating carbohydrates. Um, 
when those are the opposite of what we want to be doing, because a lot of the times what got you there in the first place is overdoing it. And a lot of what I hear from people is they'll think, man, I really feel terrible, like running. I just don't feel like I have that spark anymore that I used to have. I'm really tired, but I'm having trouble sleeping. I feel like I'm gaining weight, but I'm not gaining more strength or muscle. I feel like I'm exhausted and I don't really have time to to do anything else. Um, And they think, well, it feels like I just, it feels like this kind of came out of nowhere. Like I feel like I haven't really been doing anything differently And yet I'm feeling all of a sudden worse or bad enough where I'm woken up to want to do something about it. Um, And what I say to a lot of these people, and if you're like, whoa, this is resonating, don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there myself. Um, What I say to a lot of people is that it didn't come out of nowhere. It's just that your body was was gently asking you for several years, months, whatever it was to, you know, listen to the small little signs it was giving you, like maybe you were having trouble sleeping, even though you're training hard, or maybe you have that little injury that just like won't go away. (laughs) Or maybe, you know, you feel a little bit more tired, but you're marathon training. So you should feel tired all the time. Um, You know, those little subjective things that we like to ignore that we're really probably good runners because we can ignore some of those little subjective things and we can push through pain, right? those things that we ignore, they're super important to not ignore. <laughs> um, it's just that we ignored them or we pushed them to the side or we said, oh, well, I'll take some time off after the marathon and I'll be fine. And then all of a sudden it compounds and blows up in your face and you might end up with a stress fracture or you might end up needing to take several months off because you tore your hamstring or you've got so many nutrient deficiencies that you need to get iron infusions or you know, B12 shots or get prescription vitamin D. Um, or you have such bad gut issues that you feel like you can't even function as a human, let alone an athlete. Um, and what I'm here to say is that you can stop it before it becomes that bad of a problem. It's just, I know for a lot of athletes how our brains work, which is why we're pretty good athletes, even if we're recreational athletes is that we're good at pushing through pain and we're good at ignoring the small things until they become a really big problem, which really looks like us having dug ourselves into a very deep hole. And now it's going to take, oh gosh, so much effort and time and probably professional help to dig ourselves out. And it doesn't have to be this way. Um, Even reading some of the professional athletes' books that have come out so far this year, It's been an amazing year for books and running. So Lauren Fleshman's book, Des Linden's book, Kara Goucher's book, um, even books that came out last year. So um, how the how she did it by Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery. Um, Some of these books, you know, a lot of these runners who are professional athletes, um, you know, are really talking about how, yeah, man, this problem got so bad that I needed medication or that I needed to take a bunch of time off, or I had to skip a whole season or almost quit the sport. Um, when it really doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, if you're able to respect your body, stay in touch with it and do things, you know, in a way that is by the book. Um, and what I mean by that is knowing that your body keeps score. So you're taking the recommended amount of time off. You're not like pushing the limits on that. You're not running when you're not supposed to, you're truly taking rest on rest days. Um, you're truly eating enough consistently. You're not cutting corners with your nutrition or your sleep. You know, that is going to pay off the most in the long run. 
And then you're probably going to see, you know, more and more time off the clock too, in terms of PRs. So you just said, Holly, you know, what, what things are like the opposite of, you know, what we want to do, like that are the knee jerk reaction things, which are to do more marathons, sign up, just sign up for another one or do another one two weeks after the first one, um, recover less, you know, what should we be doing? <laughs> so a lot of the times what we should be doing is the opposite of what the knee jerk reaction is. And what we should be doing probably includes more rest. I know gasp, especially if you're in the category of, I feel like I'm losing fitness and gaining weight. Ooh, man, resting can be really, really hard for this group of people. Um, and again, I see you, I say this with all of the love in the world, but what you've been doing has gotten you to this place. So it makes no sense. In fact, it's the definition of insanity to continue doing the same thing and expect a different result. Um, and I think the disconnect is a lot of people don't realize that what they've been doing, which maybe used to work out really well for them, is no longer working for them. And that is why they have these problems. Um, so just to take that mindset and say, okay, maybe I do need to do something different in order to achieve a different result. And a lot of the times that can incorporate resting more. And I don't just mean taking two weeks off after a marathon. Some of you might already be like, two weeks? I only take one week. Why would you do more than a week? Aren't you going to lose all that fitness? This is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of problems with the running community. Elliot Kipchoge takes a month off of running after he runs a marathon. And he is one of the most consistent marathoners and track stars of all time. Take the time off. It's okay. And I don't just mean the two weeks after a marathon. I might mean incorporating another rest day into your week if it's not something you already do. You know, if you already incorporate a rest day, but you're feeling this way, maybe you need to do two. Uh, maybe you need to do three. <laughs> um, maybe you do need to take multiple weeks off after a race because you've put in months, if not years, of training into preparing for that race. And your body keeps score. And it knows if you haven't taken enough time off. Maybe you need to eat more food or balance out your diet. And what I mean by this, and again, if you're feeling like you're in the body composition camp where you're like, yeah, my body comp is not doing what I want it to do, this one can be hard. <laughs> um, a lot of the times nutrition has to be very individualized for people. So I'm not obviously going to put total blanket statements on what we should be doing. But what I do see a lot in practice is that marathoners will underfuel because it's honestly physically really challenging to overfuel while training for multiple marathons per year. And this will cause their bodies to not perform their best, not really even do basic bodily functions their best, like digestion or sleep or sex hormones, bone health, those types of things. And that can in turn actually worsen their appetite um, and make the problem worse. And again, if the knee-jerk reaction is to keep running more and doing more, 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 that's just going to make it a vicious cycle and even worse. So for some people, this can mean, yeah, eating a lot more food and continuing to train for two marathons a year and expect a PR out of both and eat more food is basically like having a bathtub with a bunch of holes in it and trying to just pour in more water. Um without first patching the holes. So <laughs> that is to say, yes, you can throw a ton more nutrition on overtraining and under recovery, but it doesn't mean it's going to fix it the fastest. <laughs> it might behoove you most 
to take some time off, also eat more. I know, really scary stuff for a lot of runners. And then once you have patched all of the holes in your bathtub by doing that, and it probably honestly happen a lot quicker if you did it that way, then you'll be able to return back to training with that new baseline and with that new level of this is how much I need to be eating and be able to scale it up a lot less painfully. <laughs> um, and again, pretty much no one I work with actually wants to do that. They all want to keep training through it and just try to, again, throw more water in the bathtub that has holes in it. And I'm a coach. I want to be supportive. I want to tell them the pros and cons of doing that. And sometimes I support people in doing that, but I watch them struggle and it's a lot harder for people who do that, especially if the chronic underfueling has been months and years and years and years long. It's just, it's going to take a lot longer that way. Basically too, we might need to work on like shorter speed work, more explosive training. I know marathoners are like, I hate that though. <laughs> um, unless you're in peak marathon training right now, then you're probably like, yeah, that sounds good. Cause that's what I hear from all my clients too. Whenever we are in peak marathon training, a lot of people will be like, I really miss strength training. I really want to get back to 5k PRs. And then as soon as the marathon's over, they're like, I want, I really miss my long runs. I really miss marathon training. <laughs> um, so anyway, but shorter speed work, that's something a lot of marathoners need to focus on. If you are someone who does two or three or four marathons a year and you're like, oh, well, like I train for five Ks, you know, the couple weeks after my marathon PR, and then I switch right into marathon training. And I like, I do a half marathon as a tune up race during my marathon training build again, year after year, after year, multiple times a year, that's going to stop working. You're going to need to dedicate a lot more time to that shorter speed work for it to really compound in the long run pun intended. Um, so maybe consider taking a whole season dedicated to the 5k. Maybe you do several 5k's. Maybe you throw in a 10k. Maybe you're still running volume. It's a little bit higher than what you need for 5k training. But again, maybe that's something that you do because that would actually dedicate the time that it deserves. Cross training and strength training. This is another one. People just want to throw this on top of a bunch of overtraining and that's not what it's for. <laughs> um, you know, again, that's going to just add more stress to a stressful situation on the body and you're not actually going to get as much benefit out of it, especially if this is compounded with fatigue and under fueling, like that's just going to make it worse. Um, and a lot of the times we're trying to do these things to prevent injuries. So when they start causing the injuries, that can really be problematic in terms of the message it sends. So maybe you need to, again, take a whole season or two, maybe a whole year. I know a lot of you are probably like <laughs> turning off this podcast episode by now, um, you know, just to dedicate towards becoming stronger incorporating more strength. And again, like it might seem like a lot up front, but that's probably what's going to benefit you the most in the long run. Pun intended, that's what is going to benefit you the most potentially in the half and full marathon, but also your health. You're a human first. Your health is super important. Um, and strength training makes us a really functional being. It allows us to be able to squat down and tie our shoes, to be able to do activities of daily living, to move stuff, to do laundry, to pick up your kids safely, um, to be able to sit in a car and drive without back pain. Like it's really important. Um, so again, if you're always just trying to throw more water in a bathtub with holes in it without fixing the holes, it's still going to leak out. So, you know, you could 
pour more strength training on top of overtraining, but you're not going to get the most benefit out of it from a training perspective or as like a human perspective, as you probably would stopping one, starting the other, and then picking up the running with it later. So those are some thoughts on that. So if this is you, (laughs) um, if you're like, yeah, body composition is not great. You know, that's not going the direction I want. I feel like my pace is plateauing. I feel like I'm in an injury cycle that I just can't really get out of. My advice to you as, again, a coach, but not necessarily your coach, so this is not individualized advice, but what I would tell someone in this situation or any of these situations is to take at least one season, if not one whole year, (laughs) off of signing up for another half or full marathon, especially a full marathon. If you're a marathoner, you could probably get away with, you know, doing a half. Um, But taking a year or at least one season off from signing up for another marathon and working on fixing the holes in your bathtub. (laughs) So if that is hey, I feel like my body composition is changing. You know, maybe you focus on gaining muscle mass, restoring your metabolism by sleeping enough, by eating enough, by getting enough protein in your diet, eating enough carbohydrates to fuel the training that you are doing, um, restoring your appetite and getting in the rest so your body can actually rebuild itself. That would be helpful. If you are injured, maybe you take that full season or a year off to you know, get a physical therapist on board and really work on fixing that injury. If it's a nagging thing, or if it's a stress fracture, you also need to get a sports dietitian on board. Um, I have, I've had people in the past, like get stress fractures and like hire a running coach. And I'm like, that's like, it's kind of like hiring the movers before you hire a realtor to sell your house. (laughs) Like we can't really do that until we fix the bone. And how do we fix the bone with nutrition? Um, so if it's a stress fracture or, you know, a nagging injury, um, you should really get a dietitian on board. Honestly, (laughs) jokes aside, that's one of my favorite things to help people with because I know how tough that can be, um, and how transformative it can be to, again, plug in the holes in your bathtub with good nutrition. If you're getting into a pace plateau, this is where I say hire a running coach, but I say also be really picky about who you hire. There are a lot of excellent running coaches out there. There are a lot of plans out there that basically aren't going to be individualized or cohesive enough and might set you up to continue doing what you're doing. And by that, I mean, you got the cheapest plan off of some coaching website So you just say, hey, I'm going to run this marathon. And they go, great, here's a plan. Instead of going, well, why? Maybe it would be better for you to do this if these are your big-term goals. Um, So again, I say hire a coach. But if you feel like your coach is overtraining you, if you feel like they're not adapting or flexible to meet your needs, if they're not hearing you when you say you have a problem and you are looking for advice on how to fix it, um, you know, if they're like, ah, you just must need to do more, 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 more all the time. And that hasn't been working or it did, but only to a point, then I would say maybe consider a different opinion or a different level of coaching. Again, I know everyone's got a budget, um, but sometimes 
getting that extra support from a coach. And probably that means like paying more (laughs) for it because it is their time, energy and expertise um, is super worth it because they should be able to kind of help steer you in the right direction rather than continue to let you steer yourself in the wrong direction um, if you're running into problems. So that might be a thing that you consider in this off season or off year that you are taking. And if you feel like it's going to be very excruciating for you to take time off, um, I always ask people to like, why is that? You know, what triggers that for you? And a lot of the times, you know, it is internal. It is, oh, but I wanted to run the Boston Marathon next year. And I've been frustrated that I haven't been qualifying or, you know, I really wanted to run consecutive Boston marathons. Um, but it's, yeah, I feel like I'm firing, you know, at all cylinders and I'm just not moving anywhere. Um, you know, it, a lot of the times it has to do with, you know, a plan that you had that maybe the timeline has to become more flexible because it's not quite working out how you thought it would. And sometimes it's external. Like sometimes people tell me, well, what are all my, you know, social media followers going to think? Or what is my running group going to think? Or what are these external forces that I subject myself to going to think that don't really matter? They don't matter. (laughs) Like social media doesn't matter. I love social media. It's allowed me to meet and connect with a lot of you. It's allowed me to have a platform for my business that I never could have dreamed of having. Um, and hopefully be able to spread helpful information like this podcast episode. (laughs) But if you need to remove yourself from social media, especially like the week the Boston Marathon's happening, (laughs) or you need to remove yourself from social media um, in certain channels, like maybe you're unfollowing people, maybe you're unfollowing certain hashtags, maybe you're only using it very selectively, um, and you're surrounding yourself with information that is going to support your current and long-term goals, Maybe that's something you do to kind of soften the blow a little bit of that disappointment. Maybe you need to track your progress in new ways. Maybe you delete Strava. I know. I'm sorry. It's just like this is such a fun podcast episode to record. I'm sure you guys love this. Um, Maybe you delete Strava. Maybe you make your Strava private. Um, maybe you don't track your progress on Strava anymore. You know, maybe you don't wear a running watch for a while. Um, or maybe you write down your training in different ways. Instead of recording miles, maybe record minutes or hours. Maybe instead of recording kilometers or miles per week, record training hours per week, especially if you're trying to like diversify your training to incorporate more strength or cross training that absolutely matters, but can't be measured in miles. (laughs) Um, Maybe you get a training journal and you write it down in there instead of Strava. Um, Again, maybe you hire a coach to track some of the progress for you and reinforce what you need to hear. Um, Tracking progress, different ways. That can be very, very effective. And again, it's just going to help your mindset and help make you a stronger athlete when you get back to doing the thing that you love doing most, which is probably racing marathons. So again, know that this is going to make you better in the long run. Know that the body keeps score. Um, Know that I have programs to help you too. If you're like, wow, this is really resonating with me. Like I feel like you're speaking to me directly (laughs) or I feel like I'm being maybe called out. Um, Again, know you're not alone. I work with 
hundreds of athletes just like you. Um, I've talked to my friends about this who do the same things. I felt this way myself. Um, and I, I recognize this is coming from someone who's run two Boston marathons in a row and qualified at both of them. And again, one of the reasons I think that's the case is because I didn't run another marathon that year just to test my fitness. Um, but again, really good marketing. The Boston Marathon in particular, which is why I kind of put it as the pinnacle of this pattern, um, even though this happens to people who don't qualify and run other races too, because everyone's doing it, right? Um, the Boston Marathon does have really good marketing. I mean, the exclusive nature, the unicorns, the hype around social media, I mean, the influencers that they hire to become a part of their expo and their fan fest and their race experience, know that too, you don't have to run the marathon to go be part of all of that. Like you can go and just have fun. Honestly, probably be less stressful if you did it that way. Um, as a participant of the race and I'm local too, I find I don't usually participate in as many of those things just because I'm trying to conserve my energy. Um, which not everyone has to do, but again, really good marketing, really fun, like valid. It is super fun to go and be a part of all of those things. And it is an absolutely iconic race, but know that too, it's, it's the marketing. Um, and you don't have to run the race to be a part of it. So programs that I offer that might be able to help you with this. If this is really resonating, I do have an off season course. Um, I will link it in the show notes. It is a self-paced course. Um, the modules include things like how to set goals, how much time it's going to take based off of your goals. Um, I do talk about body composition and kind of improving that in the off season. Um, I talk about body image and also improving that in the off season, because we know those are two different things that often sometimes don't go together. <laughs> um, also talk about how to adjust your nutrition for these goals in the off season. Talk about how to incorporate strength training and how to think about certain goals um, that may incorporate shorter, faster speed work. And also um, micronutrient deficiencies, gut health, improving GI symptoms from a more holistic standpoint and improving your sleep. So if, again, if any of this resonated in here, that is the program that would work best for you um, that I currently offer in terms of goal setting and adjusting your nutrition plan. If you do need a course to kind of help you understand how to fuel your runs, how to um, carb load for your marathon, how to not fall into this hole while you're training for a marathon, that would be my runner roadmap course, which I will also link in the show notes. That is my flagship course. There's an off-season module in that course. So it does talk about injuries and off-season nutrition and at a base standard level, some of the things addressed in the off-season course. Um, but it also includes everything else, like what to eat before and after your runs, how much food you should be having in a day, what your should look like, how to meal prep, how to meal plan, how to carb load, micronutrient deficiencies, gut health. That is an even more inclusive resource if you're also looking for something to help you with the actual, like when you are training piece. Um, if you're looking for off-season focused, don't want to focus on marathon training, <laughs> um, off-season course would be the course for you. I do also have strength training programs. Um, They're hosted on my app. You get a video tutorial on how to perform each exercise within the workout. 
And there are two and three day per week splits. I also have between 12 and 18 week plans. My off-season strength training plans are three workouts per week, upper body, lower body, and full body, about 20 to 40 minutes each workout, and is 16 weeks long. I have three levels in all of these plans so that if you're a beginner, maybe you're just starting strength training, you don't have any equipment, there's a level for that. All the way up through, you're a gym bro, <laughs> you have full access to a gym, and you want to really you know, lift things up and put them down. Um have that for you as well. So again, the resources are here. The only thing left is for you to decide what you're going to do, what's most important to you. And I really encourage you to think big picture. And if you're having a really hard time with that, you're like, I know what I should do, but I'm having a really hard time actually doing it. And I need some guidance and support through that. I have those programs. Um, and you're also welcome to add yourself to my wait list for coaching if you want an even higher level of support. While this podcast episode was maybe not the most fun and sunshine and rainbows <laughs> like some of my other ones are, I really hope it was helpful. Um, I'm really speaking from the heart. I see this pattern a lot in the running community. And I see it really honestly destroy people's health and destroy their relationship with running. And it doesn't have to be that way. So food for thought. And until next time, happy running, resting, cross training, strength training, and nutritioning.